I do a lot of journaling, a lot of writing um, every single day almost. Mm-hmm. And it's about, um, there's usually some kind of iteration of that question of if I don't change anything, will I get to where I want to get to? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is, and this happens in the physical space, like your, your physical body, um, maybe like um, mentally as well, uh, professionally, in your relationship, that question holds because you've got to identify where you are right now versus where you want to go. Welcome to the Income Flip Podcast, podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez, and on today's episode, I've got Victor Steffen from Central Texas with me. Now, Victor is an active agent investor. He helps his clients find cash flow producing assets in Central Texas, while he himself actively is also buying cash flow producing assets. What I love about Victor is that this is all he does. This is his passionate focus. There is nobody in Central Texas that is better than he is at playing this game. I know you're going to enjoy this episode because I tremendously enjoyed interviewing Victor and getting to learn his secret sauce and applying it to what we do. So listen up. Grid, guess what? Today I've got Victor Steffen from Austin, Texas, right? That's where you're at. Austin, Texas. That's right. But you cover a massive footprint. Um, what's the footprint again in Texas? Yeah, we cover um, DFW, Austin, San Antonio, and Houston. So everything basically along the I-35 corridor between San Antonio up to DFW. And then uh, the behemoth the, the that is uh, Houston, Texas. So uh, quite, the, uh, quite the spread. Huge footprint. And the reason why I wanted to bring Victor in uh, to, to talk to you guys specifically in GRID, right, uh, is because Victor is an investor-friendly agent, right? He is crushing that game. And selfishly, what I wanted to do was kind of get on here and ask him a bunch of questions regarding his model and how he does it and all that good stuff. So Rip it off, man. Good. <laughs> R&D. Hey man, I, I you know R and D is great, and uh, and and certainly if I can add any value on the journey as well, Victor, I'm I'm here, right? But I know it. when it, when I see a when I see a practitioner that's just doing it at a really high level, uh, I'm curious, and uh, and you are passionate about the things that I'm passionate about, and so welcome to the income flip, right? And just just to give you some context, the income flip is our podcast where we we teach real estate entrepreneurs how to go from active income to passive income, right? And that that is the journey. That's the journey that we take everybody on. And when I went on your site and I talked to some people about you, they're like, yeah, he's got this really, really cool system where he's helping people build wealth, uh, which is something that we're incredibly passionate about. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about what your business looks like today? And then we're going to go back in time and I'm going to deep dive and bring us forward. Okay, cool. I love it. Yeah. Thanks for uh, the intro. It's uh, fun to be out here and talk with like-minded people. Um, so right now, today, what the business looks like is um, we are 100% investor-focused agents. When I say we, it's myself, and I've got two other um, investor-friendly agents, plus an internal sales agent, and then a couple of uh, back-end support staff to help us get these contracts across the finish line. Um, but what we do, we've got a full-time analyst on staff. We're analyzing deals every single day, predominantly looking in the rental space, right? Um, single family, multifamily, uh, rental properties, short-term rentals, midterm travel nurse style rentals. Um, and then of course, like your bread and butter, long-term rental housing as well. 
so what we'll do, it almost always looks like an intro call with the client. Most of the time they're out of state, they're in a, they're in a, you know, a high W2 job, or maybe they're in, um, in an area where purchase price is prohibitive to finding anything that makes financial sense to purchase. Um, so they come looking for greener pastures in Texas and uh, we take them top to bottom. We help them identify assets, run numbers on those assets, negotiate entry prices, go ahead and do all the repairs and maintenance that are needed, introduce them to management companies, uh, plug them in with contractors as necessary. And then ultimately, you know, look at a strategy to help them go ahead and scale their portfolio to deals number four, five, six, seven, however many they need in order to hit their freedom number. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the game we play. Mm. How long have you been doing this now, Victor? Now, the so we started with the first one in 2016. Well, I started buying real estate in 2016. Um, and we've been uh, put on gas ever since. Okay. What did you do before that? Uh, before that, it was executive recruiting in New York. Mm. We were, we were headhunters for Wells Fargo. I don't know if you remember when Wells Fargo was making fake bank accounts for uh, a bunch of old ladies in the Midwest. But uh, they had they had an absolute exodus of, uh, of bankers and wealth professionals. And so they brought in my firm to help repopulate the ranks. So it was uh, it was quite the experience. And, and did you say you were in New York at the time when you did that? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in I was in Manhattan. I got my my uh, my sales license there when I was in the city. You know, so I was running out on my lunch break, showing a condo in uh, in Midtown, and then running back to the office and uh, and, and hit my W two. So that was uh, that was the intro to the real estate business. Crazy man. Well, you know, and aside, I I started an executive search firm when I was twenty four. Yeah. With my, with my best friend, placing tech salespeople back in the day. So I, you know, recruiting one hundred percent prepares you for this business. One hundred percent. You have zero fear of the phone, zero fear of people telling you kick rocks. Like you're ready, you're ready to rock and roll. You're ready to rock and roll, man. You can go through that for sure, right? (laughs) Oh, especially I'd imagine like in in New York, right? For for sure. Well, what 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 took you to Texas? So the the short answer is I I met this lovely girl. And uh, she was working in New York too, but her whole family was all from Texas. Our very first date, she says, hey, like, I don't know where you think this is going to go, but just so you know, I'm applying for jobs back in Texas. I said, hey, like, slow your roll. Like, I'm just trying to get a drink, hang out, um, meet you. And, uh, and, and and now we have a little baby boy. So she uh, knew, she knew. She was right. She was like, listen, this is it. This is it. Locking him yeah. down now. So it was it was serendipitous the timing to get to Texas though because like the Austin market as I'm sure you you've seen had exploded over the past five six years absolutely yeah. like going gangbusters similar with like DFW and and San Antonio is just kind of starting their own little renaissance so um, there's a lot of opportunity to be had but we've also seen a lot of, a lot of opportunity already capitalized on this market mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so what what got you I guess. Of all the spaces, right, what got you interested in, you know, because you can get your real estate license and like, you know, you can go after luxury and you could do lots of, yeah. like, what got you interested in this space yeah. in particular? Cool. Two things. So first, when I was in college, I went to this small school, Colgate University, upstate New York, um, played football there. There's a guy on campus and he owned like basically all of the apartment housing in the, in the community. He owned a couple of car washes, some retail space. 
And during the summertime, she just makes some extra cash. I'd help him manage properties. So he'd text me, be like, okay, like collect rent from like these apartments. So I'd go over and knock on the doors, collect checks. Um, you know, if there was like work that needed to be done, uh, we'd go and, and help him out with that. So that was like an intro to the business. And I remember dropping off rent checks to this guy and having a stack of checks and cash, you know, a couple inches thick and uh, being like, man, this is kind of crazy. So that was a good intro. And then getting into New York, hearing those conversations with a lot of the wealth professionals I was around about real estate, I ended up taking, uh, listening to, uh, you know, podcasts like this one, listening to the mm-hmm. Bigger Pockets podcast too. I ended mm-hmm. up taking one of my first big commission checks from one of those condos I sold in Manhattan. And I bought a, a $100,000 sixplex in Scranton, Pennsylvania as my, mm-hmm. uh, my, my first cash flow play. It was fully occupied. The, uh, the tenants paid rent only in cash. So I would drive my little Honda Civic from Manhattan to Scranton once a month, knock on all the doors and collect the rent just in, uh, in search of the, uh, financial freedom, you know, trying to build a, trying to build something different than I grew up with. That was the, uh, intro. I love that. It, it's interesting how the, how these seeds get planted in our life and in our heart along yeah. the way. And you're no just doubt. not sure what, what, like, what will spark you. Right. Cause yep. somebody else would be like, forget it. There's no way I want to go do that and collecting checks. Right. Like for this guy, and they just don't see it, but you saw it. By the way, you still, do you still own that property in, in Scranton? Or were just, you like- just recently sold it. Um, sold it only uh, probably a year and a half ago. We sold it for like 300 or something. It was ridiculous, but it was learned a ton from managing tenants. So I was managing all the tenants my own. And then after moving to Texas, learning how to manage that thing from out of state, you learn a lot about asset quality, location quality, tenant quality, management principles, uh, a lot yeah. just from doing that first deal and, and hopping in and saying, hey, I, I guess I want to buy something and I can afford this one. So let's do it. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's an education, right? Yeah, it's an no education doubt. for sure. Okay. So, so you moved to Texas, right? You're in Austin, brand new to the game, got your real estate license, right? You're going to get some kind of form of reciprocity. Like, how do you start? What'd you do? Yeah. So on the agency side of the business, is that the direction that you want me to go? Yeah. Or do you want me to go in well, this side? What what side did you start in when you got to Texas? Were you like, I'm just gonna do this full time as an investor? Like what was the what was the plan? Plan plan for me was just to do an investor. I wanted to be a syndicator, right? I wanted to mm-hmm. raise a bunch of capital and buy 150 unit you know, apartment complexes and, and do that whole game. Um, so I started a small company. We ended up doing a small syndication, but I learned that syndication is not for me. I learned I'm not, eh, I'm not as patient with, um, limited partners. I like mm-hmm. doing deals my own way in a way that I see fit for those deals. Um, and it's okay. You know, we had exited that first, um, syndication just fine. Um, but I learned it's not something I want to do. So. Ended up just going ahead and my first deal in Texas was like everybody, you know, just did a house hack down here, bought a mm-hmm. single family house that had a guest house on it. I uh, lived in the guest house and rented out the rooms in the other house. And that was uh, that was the first deal and did it again pretty much every six, seven months from that point forward. Just uh, picking up little single family, duplex, quadplex type units around Austin. Those were the, the first two years of being in Austin. That's what we did. Okay. What do you... Did you have your Jews? You, were you practicing any real estate as an agent in between that period? Not my, not my first, uh, probably not my first six, seven months here. Um, oh, Texas is a little bit prohibitive in terms of difficulty to get their license. One of the more difficult states, like 
Pennsylvania or New York or Florida, like a lot of those markets, it's a little bit easier. Texas was 180 hours, you know, so it was a big, it was a big um, commitment in terms of time, especially working full time to get the license. So by the time I had got my license, um, you know, after three or four deals had gone by, um, I was already pretty familiar with my own deals in the market as well as what uh, investors were looking for. Got it. Yeah, because it, you, like, it was you. Right, right. You, 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 you learned it on on your own dime, syndicating and and just looking for deals yourself. Right. So where did that transition occur? How did that transition start happening? Yeah. Cool. I ended up having a lot of people asking me to help them do what I was already doing, and then I was already an agent in New York. I knew that side of the business, but I didn't think I wanted to show people, you know the houses and have them back out of something because they didn't like the cabinet color. That was not my uh, my forte. But talking about numbers with people, talking about how this portfolio fits or how this specific deal can fit into a larger portfolio um, and having buyers who are making decisions rationally, not based on um, uh, subjective you know, reasons, um, that sat much better with me. And I ended up having a couple of clients who said, you know what, I'm looking for this house hack type of deal. I said, hey, you know what, I've done a few of those. Here's what I would look for. Here's pitfalls mm-hmm. that I would avoid, um, having already done it a few times. And they're incredibly appreciative. We closed a few really quickly. And it was like another revenue driver for me to continue to build my own investment portfolio, which when you talk to clients and you let them know that you're investing right alongside them, the exact type of deals that you're presenting to them in a monthly or every month kind of uh, frequency, um, that that carries really well. And it gives a lot of weight to our business and how we're representing clients. Yeah, 100%. So how do you balance those two, right? Like you, you're building your own portfolio and you're, and you're helping clients on the acquisition to build their portfolio. How much time do you spend building your own portfolio? How much time do you spend helping other people build their portfolio? Yep. Is it just kind of integrated? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, great. Um, my portfolio building takes very minimal mental bandwidth. I know what I buy and I know what I'm buying right now. And when I see something and it hits those boxes, it's it it's zero mental capacity for me to say, okay, yeah, we're going for it and we buy it. Mm-hmm. And my wife has seen the uh, the impact of those deals and she fully trusts. And we'll talk about them, of course. And we we tour these properties now just because it's fun for us to look at real estate. Um, but it's very easy for me now to see something that fits the buy box and say, yeah, go. Um, so that leaves a lot of mental bandwidth and a lot of professional bandwidth for our client base because mm-hmm. most of the investors who we have come through, they have a deal or two, but it takes a little bit more time for them to say, yes, this is something that I feel comfortable moving forward on because, you know, just they don't have the time on task, um, which is absolutely okay. And we're here to help um, shorten that learning curve for that client. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand that, right? So, um, so help me understand buying assets on the buy side of the business, right? Takes takes time. Like you're going to have to write a certain amount of offers to get the, the type of deals that, that makes sense within the buy box that the client has, right? It sounds like you've streamlined what that process looks like within your organization. Definitely. Help me kind of understand that. Like if I'm your client yep. and I come in, I give you my buy box, what are the expectations that you set with me? And um, and what, what does that house buying process look like? Great. I love that question. Um, 
And I can give you a detailed answer and I can also give you a 30,000 foot view answer. We'll, we'll land somewhere in between. Okay. So, um, step one is always going to be an introductory call. I work with almost all of my clients directly. Um, especially if I'm the first point of contact, I like that to be a very seamless transition for the client and make them feel cared for and, uh, and heard. So we'll do an intro, um, an introductory call, do a consult. And I'll at first make sure that what they're looking for is even something that I can help them find. If they're looking for something right now that's you know a 10% cash on cash return after setting aside their, their pity payment and vacancy and management fees and CapEx, um, I'll, I'll tell them, hey, unless you want to go to some pretty tough areas of the state, I'm not going to be your guy. Um, also, I'll try and help guide clients if they're looking and they're close to something that could be viable, but not quite there. Um, I'll, I'll push them in a different direction. And if they're comfortable going in a direction that I think is a viable solution, that's worth my time as a professional realtor who has, you know, a lot of clients to work with. I don't want to be spinning my wheels looking for something that I know doesn't exist because I'm looking at 150 properties a day and I have been for the last seven years. Um, so we can tell them pretty quick if this is something we can or can't do. So that's step one, just be super candid with the client. And if we can't do it, we probably have somebody in our network who does specialize in that asset type, you know, if it's large commercial or they're looking for really distressed off-market type of um, inventory, we can push them to that correct um, relationship and we know that they're going to be taken care of. So that's step one. Make sure we have a detailed buyer console. From there, we'll go ahead and take really detailed notes and I create for every single one of my clients a perfect deal state. If this client can have the perfect property, what does that look like? And that's our guidepost going forward. So once we have that perfect detail, um, that perfect deal statement in place, I'll go through their profile probably every third day personally. And if I can find anything in our on or off market channels that gets close to that perfect deal statement, I'll send it to them directly. I'll tell them exactly why I think it's a good deal for them. And it's a lot of organic manual outreach to these clients. Mm -hmm. um, but I found that if you rely on automated campaigns, if you rely on the automated email systems, um, they, they get, they get their eyes glaze over. Uh, sure. But if you can, you know, spend 20 minutes every third day per client looking for their specific buy box, uh, it lands a lot better. And there's, there's a lot more, um, I think a more curated type of offering that you can offer the client. Mm -hmm. So once we go ahead and identify a good asset, we talk to the client, answer any kind of questions that always come up. Um, most of our clients are out of state. We'll schedule video tours for that client. Um, we've got an army of showing assistants um, on that on site doing all the videos for the clients. Um, we'll go ahead and schedule that showing. Uh, we'll go, we'll send those videos over to the, uh, over to the buyer. If all looks good from there, write the offer, um, go ahead and get accepted, do the inspections, we'll let the inspectors into the property. Once the inspection period is done and we've negotiated any kind of repairs or treatments, um, you're getting toward closing, right? At that point, we'll introduce you to our contractors, our property managers. If you need an attorney of sorts, if you want to hold this thing within an entity, we'll plug you into our people to know network, right? So we have that entire piece. And then at closing, we ensure that there's a nice, smooth, seamless transition from um, the contract phase to closing. A lot of times that's where I've seen deals fall apart is the transition for an out client transition from closing to our now functional operation of this asset. Let's make that return come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And that's constant iteration, new property managers all the time that you have to mm -hmm. constantly be vetting because you can get a great property manager and then, you know, you, you source them 45 clients and all of a sudden they stop taking calls. Right. You, you, sure. 
they get too busy. So, um, and then the last piece there, one interjection at tier one of the process is once we identify that asset, we'll also have our internal analyst run numbers. So if they want to do, you know, if it's short-term rental property, if it's a long-term rental property, we'll give our analysts the price point, what their down payment is going to look like, the interest rate that they've been able to lock, the strategy that they're looking for. And he'll do a pretty detailed analysis to say, hey, here's um, like our, our best estimate about what your numbers are going to look like. Here's the video tours from the asset. Um, here's where we think that we can land that in terms of purchase price. And we try and make it, we try and answer any questions at the forefront and be, and limit the ambiguity in the deal. If we can limit ambiguity and answer all these questions at the forefront, we've noticed a much lower defection rate in terms of the number of contracts that cancel. We've also noticed that uh, the clients are a lot more comfortable moving forward and taking Mm -hmm. these things from contract to close. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, I've got uh, a series of questions I'm going to ask you based on what you just told me. Let's go. You're um, uh, showing agents. They're not, you, you only named off in the beginning three or four agents specifically on your team. Yeah. So it sounds like these showing agents are off team. Are you paying them per showing or how, how did you arrange that? Exactly. Um, have yeah. you heard of Shawami? Why did I think? I think I just heard that yesterday or today. They, they're they a relatively new company and I I hope they get huge and stay in business forever because mm-hmm. they have made my life so much easier on the showing side. I, I know very confidently that I can have a client anywhere in Texas ask to see something and it could be in Houston, it could be in San Antonio, it could be anywhere in between and I can have a showing agent there within about four hours. Um, and that has been amazing for that's us. A game, because that's a game it's, changer. It's ridiculous. Because now, instead of having to build out all these relationships all over the state and make, mm-hmm. and then, you know, text that person and make sure that they're available to show or myself or somebody internally on my team scheduling and going to show, which is is not scalable at all. Um, now we've got Shawami and there's, a, there's already a large user base on that app. Um, all our showings are picked up within a few minutes. Doesn't matter where in the, in the state we have, we go ahead and request a showing. Um, they're there. They'll do the video recording. They'll let inspectors into properties if needed. They can get access for a property manager if needed. That has been a huge shift in our business in the last, you know, 18 months or so. They've been an incredible partner for us. You know, it's interesting is that, um, you know, when you when you start understanding leverage like that, you realize that you can bin, run a business like this, and there's no borders. There's really like without borders, you yeah. can go anywhere. You could do anything, right? That's right. You could be in Costa Rica analyzing assets in Texas because you know the market. You built the infrastructure. You've got showing agents through Shawabi, right? That's right. That, that are showing the property because the real value is in the knowledge. And uh, and being an active investor yourself, right? It's really hard to take somebody on a wealth journey unless you've gone on that wealth journey yourself. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So um, now the buy side business is a hard business to scale. It's a harder business to scale. What piece do you play on the listing side of the business? Is that even part of your model? Just Let me, yeah. So I think prior to... Shawami, prior to building out this, that side of the business, the buy side of the business was a, a hard side to scale. Mm-hmm. Since, since then, we, because I heard the same thing, you know, list to last and all those things. 
I have a much lower cost per transaction on my buy side than on my list side. Of course, like we, we take the listings that come available, but I don't need, I don't run them personally anymore. I refer every single listing out and you can refer out listings at 50% all day because people are used to just having a buyer referral. Now you're giving a hot listing. Hey, this person wants to list. Here's the contract. Can you run it at 50%? And that's what I do with all of my listings. Okay. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. That is so different. You literally just refer out your listings. You're like, I don't want to have anything. To do I don't touch them. Don't touch them. Why is that? Because it takes me so much more time, energy, and money to do a listing than it does to take a buyer. I could be super, super, super selective with my buy base, right? I can I can work with 40 buyers at a time who I know are looking for something realistic, who I know are looking for something that we've sourced a dozen times in the past, and I know we can do again. Whereas on the list side, right, you've got a you've got a fixed purchase price that that seller is trying to hit. You've got to stage the property, market the property appropriately, get it online, all of those things. I don't have that with on the buy side. On the buy side, if a deal doesn't work, if, a, if an asset doesn't work for a buyer, it's going to be more. So there's, um, there's a lot of, I think, leverage that has been untapped on the buy side. And to give you some context, um, I did 119 transactions in 2022. Um, and only I think three or four were list side transactions. All, all the rest were all just pure buyers. That's great, man. You're, you're creating a little bit of a mind shift in my brain, right? When it comes to this. And I know that people listening in on this are also going to be thinking differently about this. Um, we, we're the, we're flipped. Like ours is like that. That's we're we're flipped, right? I've always yeah, controlled yeah. distressed assets and I still do. And that, that's, that's a lot of what we do. But integrating an effective buy leverageable strategy seems like a, a complete no-brainer. The questions I have in my head are writing contracts, right? Like, yeah, great. That that that's that's a that's a piece of this puzzle that that has to get executed at scale. So how do you, how do you great. do that? Yeah, um, something we definitely had to solve for because when I started getting too busy, you know, it, it'll take you 30 minutes to write uh, an effective contract and you can get really good at it. And if you're logged into all of your stuff, if you're logged into like your Skyslope and and we use um, uh, zip forms. So if you're all logged in and you've got the MLS pulled up, you can do it relatively quickly, maybe 20 minutes to write, um, to write that entire offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're putting out 10 offers a day, you know, you're... you're you don't have time to service your clients just because you're writing that many contracts. So that's where our licensed internal sales agent came into play. Um, needs to be licensed in order to really like represent a client effectively on um, in terms of contract writing. Um, so that's what I've done. I uh, brought in the ISA and one of her biggest jobs every single day is I text her over the, the name of the buyer, buyer's email, and she can pull up their file and look right into there at what type of offer they want to go ahead and submit. If she's got any questions, she has all of the buyer's contact info. She can reach out directly, you know, what kind of contingencies that we have in place. But most of these contracts that we're writing, they have standard contingencies, appraisal, financing, inspection, you know. Um, um, So that's a part that we've been able to lever out and she can focus just on writing contracts and, uh, and getting those submitted over to the seller's agent while I can continue to identify good investment opportunities and do the introductory calls with my buyer base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're taking you're taking the intake, getting the understanding, developing the buy box, educating in that process, 
farming them out if they're, they're not the right fit for you, bringing them in, solidifying that relationship if they are the right fit for you, letting them know about what your system looks like, probably setting those expectations of how it's going to be. Are you going to write multiple contracts? You're probably going to tell them something along the lines of, for every 10 we write, you're going to get one, right? Do you know exactly the numbers? Right. Exactly right? right. Well, it depends on the season. So, you know, if it was peak of season, uh, let's say if it was um, March of 2022, you know, I might have to write out 20 offers and I'd have three of them that actually got accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were at the, the bottom of the market in say November, December, and January at the end of 2022, early 2023, I might write five and land four. So um, right now we're in a much more neutral environment in Texas. I don't know. I don't know across the entire country, but I know in Texas we're pretty neutral. Like I'll I'll submit usually ten to fifteen offers over the course of a week right now, um, and we'll land four or five. Got it. Um, fascinating and very cool. So and, and interestingly enough, as we've developed our 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 business that revolves around this uh, vertical and working with the investor, the landlord. Um, I've got members of my team that have developed a very similar system, right? Yeah. It's like they've, they've just, they just have figured out the numbers associated with it. They set the right expectations. They've got somebody that's writing the offers. They understand the buy box and they just execute like that all the time. Cause I started noticing, I was like, I was like people on my team, that, that we we explained how the game was played uh, and I've always focused mainly on the listing side right that that's where I was trained and I control yeah. assets but there was buyer agents on my team that had to figure out how to execute this piece at scale and I was like you just ratified a ton of contract like how are you doing that on the buy side and then they kind of showed me the system Dan in particular on my team and what you're describing is is pretty much what He's set up. Um, he actually does multiple Zoom calls to kind of help cement the next logical step because he finds like it is an education process that you've got to take somebody. But once you've got them and they understand, then they're they're just locked and loaded. Yeah, right? that actually might be a great like shift for our business because all of our calls right now are one on one. And what I find now, you know, we're booked out for three weeks in terms of introductory calls and I can only do so many a day. Mm-hmm. So that may be something, Rob, that uh, I, I might uh, go ahead and integrate into our, our business, maybe grouping three or four of them together and yeah. uh, answering group questions. That might be a good idea. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So um, so that's cool. You just said you've, you're booked out for three or four weeks, right? How do people find you? How do they Great. know you're the guy? Yeah, um, we have a rock star crew of web developers out in uh, Ukraine. Actually, actually, they relocated mm. recently. Um, now they're—I think they have a temporary operation in London or something. Uh, but I was super skeptical of SEO and and search engines and and ranking in Google. I tried it in the past, and I was just not able to see any success. Um, and I now see it was because you. I had no idea what I was doing. But these guys, they they told me like, Vic, if you want to, they were they were surprised when I said, so like you guys think this is actually going to generate like some traffic? And there was like crickets on the call. And uh, my web developer is like, what? Of course, it generate. Tra- Why would you pay us if it wasn't going to? He was he was dumbfounded. Um, 
But he, sure enough, he said, you're going to have to pay probably about a year, right? Until you see traction start to gain. And uh, VictorStefan.com now ranks in the number one search result for investor-friendly agent name your city in Texas and we're front page of Google. Um, so we'll have, we'll have people come through that channel all the time. All of the, uh, the blogs, obviously on bigger pockets, all over those blogs, um, a lot of YouTube and Instagram, and we've got, a um, another good social content manager, um, who we've met and has been an awesome partner. And he, uh, he'll put out 15 to 20 pieces of content per week across all of our channels. Um, and all of this really recently, probably in the last six months, has started to bear fruit. Whereas before it was just, you know, reaching out to people organically, other investors, I'd see people who were buying stuff for cash and reach out to them directly, um, like that kind of, like just mm-hmm. bootstrap the business. Um, we didn't start seeing a real efficiency of scale probably until the last six months when we really started to see a lot of buying traffic come through our web channels. That's awesome. So would you say, let's let's say, Let's take SEO out of it, right? Yeah. Um, initially, it was probably relationships. So maybe some form of sphere, like investors getting to know you or hearing about you or being referred to you, right? Yep. Yep. Um, did you ever do like Facebook or PPC or any of that stuff to drive traffic? Like what, tell me a little bit about what your lead gen model, I guess, cool. like look like. And then I know, I know SEO is a big pillar of that, but what did it look like in the beginning? Cool. So in the beginning, um, I, man, I, I tried everything, uh, that first, that first year in Texas. Cause when I came here, the only person I knew was my wife. I had no, no sphere in Texas. That first year that I was here, I sold, I don't know, maybe, maybe I executed 30, 34 transactions, which is, it was great business, but, uh, uh, there was definitely a lot to be desired. So what I ended up doing went to basically every meetup that I could, met a lot of investors through there. Um, I would jump in to the comment sections on our investor groups on Facebook. That was another huge lead driver. Um, uh, host an open house for other agents. If there was an asset type that I really liked, for example, if there was a multifamily property, if there was a two to four unit property, um, I would reach out to the listing agent and say, hey, if you'd like to send me over the tenant's contact information, I'll schedule with them. I'll make sure that we get a good um, date that works for everybody. I'll coordinate everything because that can be difficult on the multifamily mm-hmm. side, mm-hmm. Um, dealing with uh, the the tenant base in terms of showings. And that's usually one of the biggest limiting factors to moving uh, two to four unit properties. Just you can't get into those assets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I would schedule all of those. I'd host an open house for four hours on a Saturday mid afternoon at a quadplex in Austin. And have 45 people come through and maybe a quarter of them are unrepresented. And that was huge for me. Um, as long mm-hmm. as you can get an agent who is okay with you talking to the tenant base, which most of the time, um, there was some kind of work around. I could take the guy out for dinner or something and be fine. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so that, that was, was a big, intro. yeah, a big database building activity to do that, Definitely, right? You've got for 45 sure. people looking for a two to four unit building. Maybe that one isn't the right fit somewhere along the way, you yeah. have the ability to sell them something. Right? right, exactly. And there's still people in that database who I can track back to. They came through an open house. And yeah. uh, and there's people who I've done four or five transactions with that I've met at those open houses. Or where I was, um, I, I put a, a for sale by owner sign in one of my, uh, one of my rentals before I was even a licensed agent. And, uh, and guys like that, I mean, we, we sold mm-hmm. a few to those, those, uh, those clients. So it was very bootstrapped in the beginning. 
So, Victor, where, where do you want to take this business? But where, you know, you started it in, in, in 2016, which in my opinion, that's relatively young. Like, that mm-hmm. seems like it hasn't been that long, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but yet, like, I know 2016 to 2023, it, it is, that's still, that's a lot of experience, right, in this space. Uh, but it just time goes by that fast. And you look like a, a young guy, right? Like, where do you where do you want to take this business? What's the what's the big vision for it? Yeah. So this is something I I always go back and forth on, but I feel really good and secure. And I've got a, a business coach who has been phenomenal and helping like shape like real direction and where I want to go. And I had an idea about establishing this thing and blowing it up and franchising the model across lots of states, right? Um, but at the end of the day. If I change nothing, if I change nothing in the current iteration of the business, will I get to where I want to get to? And the answer is yes. And I'll be there relatively quickly within about four and a half to five years. So what I really want to do, I'm going to stay in Texas. I'm going to make this model hyper-efficient. Um, and I'm going to continue to execute at a high level as a high-producing agent. I don't have ambitions to build out a brokerage like a lot of people. Um, I don't have ambitions to have the next 100-agent sales team um, I like my very elite force of agents. Um, we execute at a high level for our clients and calendars are booked out for, uh, for meetings. And I know that I can consistently close 25 to 30 transactions a month. Um, and it doesn't cause me a lot of stress right now because we've got our systems dialed in. And if I can sustain that level of production for the next about four and a half to five years, um, I'll go ahead and, and exit and, and enjoy my my large passive income portfolio that I've uh, been able to build and um, enjoy time with hopefully God willing a big old big old family and go to some soccer games or something. I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> that sounds awesome. How old's your how how old are your kids? You have one right now. One one baby boy. He's twenty one days old. Oh my God, dude! Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. You're just yeah. starting. He's 21 days old, dude. My daughter's 21 years old. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. You're just starting yeah. the journey. That's so cool. Yeah. Um. Okay. I love that. I love somebody that 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 has thought it through and says, "I know what I'm building." That's really important. Like, I know what I'm building. You're clear on what that is. You're probably clear on who you are and what your skill set is and what what lane you want to play in, right? Um, exactly right. And so you're going to take this active income, it sounds like, from selling these houses, and then you're going to buy assets, right? Because yep. that, that's the play. And then, exactly. and you probably have a freedom number, right? Or some kind yeah. of FU number, right? Yeah. That, that, that you're working toward, I would imagine, right? Yeah, for sure. And then, and then if you hit that number, which it's not if, you will hit that number, right? Will. Um, you'll then, you know that you have optionality. You, you'll you'll then decide well, what's the next iteration of what it is that I want to build, right? I would yeah. I would suspect that would happen. So something I always do, and I've had to I've had to please myself from doing this. I'll get relatively successful at something, whether it's like the uh, the executive search for, firm or um, wh- whatever it is, uh, and I'll get to a point where it feels comfortable and like I know what I'm doing, and it seems very routine, like day after day after day. And I'll throw a wrench in there somewhere and try and make it bigger. I'll try and scale it up. And I've done it in this business as well. I've thrown a wrench into it and, and tried to bring on 15 agents and uh, and just realized it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. So it's a constant fight for me to say, this is what I'm working on. If I don't change anything, I'll hit what I want to do. 
So just make this a little bit better. And then when I get to my FU number and when I get to that passive income stream coming in, and then I can, I have that, that portfolio owned free and clear. Maybe it's not the highest return on equity, but I know if I don't touch it, nothing changes in terms of personal life and, and production, right? Then at that point in time, if I want to go and, you know, start a steel manufacturing plant and be the next uh, Carnegie, you know, I can, can do those things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if I want to start, you know, some kind of crazy franchise model wedding venue business, which I've been toying with, uh, then uh, I can do that without, without tossing out the baby, uh, with the bathwater, so to speak, risking the, uh, the lifestyle that my family's come to enjoy. That's cool. Yeah. You, you want to, it's like these steps, right? You want to yes. lock in. Lock in the gains. Lock in the gains, right? And then you yeah. lock them in and you're like, okay, this is good. And then and then you're going to lock in the next gains and then the That's next right. gains, right? Yes. Yes. Where did, you, where did you, where did you learn this? How did there, you think about this, right? You're, you're, you're a pretty young yeah. guy. I like, I, I, I get it, but you're thinking, your thinking is more advanced than most, right? that I run across. Well, I appreciate that. Um, Rob, you and I were connected through the bigger pockets community. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I've been listening to those guys. I feel like for forever since probably 20, 2010, like when mm-hmm. Josh Dorkin and Brandon Turner were on the podcast. I remember when Josh Dorkin left and I was like, all right, well, the podcast going downhill now. <laughs> and that was, that was so many iterations of hosts ago. Uh, but that was always a a conversation that they would have. And then um, seeing a model, seeing somebody who has done it and um, in, in terms of my mentor that I had back in college, I'm um, seeing him multi-billionaire, but still lives in a three bed, two bath house on a golf course in Hamilton, New York, you know, mm-hmm. and, and is hanging out with uh, the college kids and mentoring them through their, their post-grad transition. Um, really, really cool to see. And just, I think, and then obviously all of the reading and books that are out there. Um, I think I've done a lot of distilling about what I do and don't want, what mm-hmm. is and is not important. And what I've noticed, I do a lot of journaling, a lot of writing um, every single day almost. Mm-hmm. And it's about, um, there's usually some kind of iteration of that question of if I don't change anything, will I get to where I want to get to? Mm-hmm. And if the answers, and this happens in the physical space, like your, your physical body, um, maybe like, um, mentally as well, uh, professionally, your relationship, that question holds because you've got to identify where you are right now versus where you want to go, right? So what I found is when the, when the, um, that my journaling entries, when they get more and more narrow, there's less and less deviation from one month to the next in terms of what I'm, what I'm describing in the business and how I want the business to look and what I want my family to look like. Um, I know I'm really zoning in on something real and like visceral um, mm-hmm. and, and it's not as flippant, like say building a business and wanting to, you know, build a big old syndication and having 15,000 doors in the portfolio. Um, that was, that was in the journals um, years ago, uh, but it's not there anymore. In my iteration, I've gotten closer and closer and closer to a concise type of goal. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think that has helped a lot now knowing just looking back to the past couple of years and it's been very consistent. I know that there's something real there. Yeah, what's what's cool about that, especially journey, journaling and and actually going out and doing and tasting and figuring out what you like, is that you is that you discover like what you are uniquely good at and what mm-hmm. you enjoy doing. Because sometimes we get caught up in seeing what other people have built, and we're like, oh, I want to build that. That that looks cool. Yep. But then you realize that maybe 
your temperament isn't right for that, right? Um, I, when I first started, I wanted to be a large multifamily apartment building, like I would just thousands of them, right? Yes, yeah, and I, I get it. And, and I realized that like, no, that's not that's not where I really enjoyed playing. Like, yes, I own lots of units, right? And, and yet that wasn't where I saw myself playing long-term, right? And so yeah. your vision starts kind of getting like refined. And I guess that was my point in saying, you've done that within a fairly quick amount of time from 2016 to now, like 2016 seems like yesterday to me, right? I started in the game um, full-time in 2005, purely as an investor. right? And and there was, there's been multiple iterations of, of what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think it's only recently that I've been like, this is exactly what I want to do. Yeah. Right. Yes. It seems like you got there a lot faster. So I just wanted to give you kudos on that. And, and what I got from it was being able to listen and learn from other people. Right. Yeah. And then 100%. Right. Listen to learn from other people and just like really self reflecting. Mm-hmm. Right. Taking yeah. time to self reflect. Yeah. The reflection piece is huge. Also, like, um, Another thing that can't be overstated, and I think, is like there's been an, an amazing amount, I think, of, of opportunity and like privilege that I've had. Just like having a family um, around you that's like, supportive and you know you can take some risks. And at the end of the day, if you go and you put everything into this syndication and it goes belly up and you're back at home living on your mom's couch, like you've got your mom's couch to fall back on. So mm-hmm. there was, there was like some early, um, just like, like, you know what? We're, we're going to go for it. And I'm, I'm naturally risk um, tolerant. So some of those early risks, you know, hitting the market in 2016 forward was quite the bull run. So I'm, I'm sure I had some wind in my sails that helped cover up for mistakes. So I didn't have anything catastrophic. That was a, a big derailment. And I was able to experiment with a lot of different asset types and management styles and business models um, without having my butt handed to me. Um, and now I've been able to take take my lumps from those things without being too severe, um, and then also take the good and keep the good, get rid of the bad. And now what I'm left with, everything that I'm doing now feels good. And Rob, I'm sure over the course of the next you know 14 years, there will be other iterations. But whatever iteration I do, I'm not gonna because I've locked in those gains um, up to a point, and because I'm consistent in terms of hitting those numbers. Um, I'm not going to go backwards, but beyond any point that I've already achieved, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the real goal for me. Yeah. The goal is don't go backwards. Don't right? go backwards. Don't go backwards. Keep moving forward. Especially now that you've got a 20, 21 day year old boy. Uh-huh. Yeah. What's his name? Boaz. 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 Okay. Yeah. He's, uh, it's from the book of Ruth. He was the patriarch in that story mm-hmm. in the Bible. Um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. Um, kind of a, a man that you would want to uh, emulate, and also he was a he was a land baron. The guy owned tons of real estate, so there's <laughs> a connection. I love it, man. I love it. Hey, well, Victor, thank you for sharing time. I could continue asking a lot of questions, but I know your time's valuable. It sounds like you're you're you've got a two o'clock, probably like myself right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and your and your calendar's booked for the next three weeks, so hard to get <laughs> on your schedule. But if anybody wants to get a hold of you. Uh, if anybody listening here is investing in Texas, right? How do they uh, How do they reach you? The absolute easiest is going to be via the website Victor Stefan. It's my name. dot com. V i c t o r s p e f f e n. dot com. That's it. Awesome. 
Victor, I love the website too. It's great. I appreciate I'm that. I'm going to have to do a little R&D on that thing. Do you think? Do you start too? <laughs> so, uh, Victor, I, I look forward to, to, to networking and masterminding with you more in the future. I'm glad we're able to connect today, man. Likewise. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Sure thing. All right. Bye.